Giga Water Gang. Welcome to Historical AF. I'm Kina. And I'm Ashley. We are a historian and a special guest bringing you some funny and weird historical nugs you never knew you needed in your ear holes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Really excited to have you, Ashley, because this is episode 67 and it is Sex History Part 1. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about, <laughs> <laughs> about saying it. And then I'm like, that gets weird. <laughs> it's a little weird, but whatever. Oh, gosh. So many dick jokes. Oh, it's going down. It's sick. I, I know my mom likes listening. And I, I just imagine she's going to shake her head and be like, not again. <laughs> why is it always you two? Yeah, why is it another dick episode? Why? <laughs> Although she did send me a link, I, I'm not covering it, so I'm not spoiling anything. But it's a sex cult in like the early 19th century, and it's the Oneida people, like the silverware people. They were what? into they were into the free love. Okay, yeah. Their thing was you can have sex with whoever you want as long as they consent. I was like, hey, you know, consent is sexy, so yeah, I support it. Whatever you do, you. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm gonna have to read up on that. That's okay. <laughs> oh yeah, maybe I'll share like the link on the speakeasy or something. It really cracked me up because they're like basically Puritans, and I didn't realize. You think of Puritans, you think you know prudes, but apparently they were going at it. You know? Oddly enough, I touch a little bit on that in my story, <laughs> but first. Ashley has really exciting news. So when she left us, it was to pursue her dream job. But now you have managed to surpass your dream job to do something even cooler. Tell everybody what you're about to do. Yes. So I uh, just finished my first class yesterday. I am getting my master's in mental health counseling. Anyone who listened in the early days knows how important mental health is to me. And like a year ago, I was struggling really, really hard, but I'm in such a better place now. And now I just really want to help people. So I have started that. And in about three years, I will be a licensed mental health counselor. And then I will go on to get my PhD in psychology. I am so proud of you. Just such a great profession. Yeah. And it's crazy to me that I'm doing something that like literally this week in my class, it was all about Mm self-care, like a whole unit just on self-care and talking about our self-care and how we cope. And then like, reading articles about how to self-care properly and, you know, it's okay to just lay in bed and watch TV for a day, you know, that kind of thing. Like that self-care just as much as going to the gym and eating healthy. So it was really fascinating. That is so good. Uh, I read a thing. It was an article. I read a lot of psychology today because I'm a big ass nerd, but it was talking about how people do self-care, but then they feel guilty about it the whole time. So like you didn't actually do it doesn't count. (laughs) Yeah. And I've been doing a lot of research into intuitive eating lately. Mm -hmm. And it's so weird being able to like sit down with a plate of strawberries and just enjoy them being strawberries instead of like being miserable and feeling guilty. Like maybe I shouldn't eat this or I can't have this. It's not part of my calories and Mm -hmm. all that. Like, so it's really fascinating. Yeah. I'm so proud of you. And I know everybody's going to be so proud of you. Thank you. I'm so pumped. But I'm equally as pumped to be here talking about dildos today. So, <laughs> oh, wait, I spoiled it. Sorry. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> it's just going to be so funny. And you're one of the funniest people I know. So I'm just so excited to have you back. 
when she was researching, she just sent me a message being like, I'm squealing. <laughs> yes. Like I was squealing. I was screaming. I just like, <laughs> holy crap. Like I was sitting in bed doing my notes and just screaming like by myself. It was special. Oh man. Is, is there oh, anything yeah. else going on in your life? We're about to start having students come back to work because I work at a college. And I'm like really excited about that. I've really missed them. I like have hated my job without having the students there. But yeah, otherwise I'm just doing that. Um, I've started doing paintings. I sold my first painting last night. I saw that. That's so exciting. So that's fun. So I'm going to do a whole bunch more of those tomorrow. I'm on vacation for a week. So I'm just trying to find things to do besides the two naps that I took today. (laughs) They were glorious. So I mentioned in the announcement that the format's changing slightly. We're only doing two stories today, but that just means my story is going to be longer. There's no way to sum up my person in a short, shallow dive. So apologies in advance. It'll probably be the same length as like the last episode with three, but I regret nothing. Dude, my body is ready. Do you want to go first? I'm sure. just dying. I, I need... Yes. I need- <laughs> so... As I spoiled while ago, we're going to talk about the history of dildos. <laughs> I, oh my God. I like, I'm speechless at how much fun I had researching this story. She also told me while she's writing her notes, she's like, I just wrote the funniest sentence ever. You'll know when you hear it. Oh, you'll know. You'll know. <laughs> you'll know. <laughs> All right. So to jump right in, dildos date back to the Stone Age. Archaeologists have found that these quote-unquote tools, uh, they tried to see if these tools were used for other non-sexual uses. You'll see a lot in here that different tools were repurposed to be used as dildos, but also if you're not prepared for me to say the word dildo a whole lot, you might want to turn away. Yeah, like at at work, make sure you got headphones. And if you're in the car with your mom, you might not want (laughs) But yeah, so they tried to find different uses that weren't dildo related, but I, and I wrote in here that I'm of the same mind as my feelings on aliens, just because it's dick shaped, it doesn't mean someone fucked it. Yeah. <laughs> Not even the sentence. Not even. <laughs> like writing, that needs to be on a shirt. <laughs> right. But yes, that's kind of my feeling on it. But they tried to find different uses for it besides just sexual pleasure. But the only thing they could really classify them as with any confidence was what they called, quote unquote, an ice age baton. So it kind of raises the question, kind of like the chicken or the egg, which came first, the tool or the sex toy. Also, if you ever have someone ask you about the chicken and the egg, the egg came first from something that wasn't a chicken. So yeah. The more you know. Yes. So just a little historical nugget there. Like how so, big is it? You you said they call it a baton. Yes. So this so is a very how, large. Right. So I think that they thought that maybe it was used for like hunting purposes because it was phallic shaped, but it could be used as a baton. It can also be used for crushing grain, you know, any number of things. Like I picture more like a pestle and a mortar and pestle oh yeah yeah. that's what i picture when i read this okay and the reason that the archaeologists think that it was a sex toy is because the batons are extremely detailed with tattoos piercings scars missing foreskins and they're made of smooth materials such as antler bone huh 
There's a lot right. to unpack there. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, that makes me think that it's more ritualistic, like they were decorated for ritual means. Yeah. A little bit of conjecture, but yeah. for the most part, archaeologists are a little bit stumped. It's interesting you say piercings, too, because I guess I wouldn't have imagined Stone Age. Yeah, I really wouldn't imagine Stone Age having piercings. So I wonder if the piercings on the bone were for other purposes, like more decorative. Yeah. yeah. That's that's what I, I would subscribe to that, that it had a different purpose. Let's jump to the Greeks. The Greeks fucked bread. This is what I was screaming about. Screaming while writing my notes. I have so many questions. And only some of them are answered. There's too many questions going through my head right now. I don't know. (laughs) So it's called Olis Bokolit. Wait. Olis Bokolix. Lix. That's an L. Olus Bokolix. There we go. That's even better with an L. Right? <laughs> Greeks fucked bread. There's evidence that these phallic-shaped baguettes <laughs> were used for ritualistic purposes, but archaeologists theorize it could have been for sexual pleasure, too. I just, I can't. I, can't. I just can't. And I wrote in here, I fucking love bread, but I'm not that committed. <laughs> no, that would have never even crossed my mind as a possibility. So it's later in my notes, but I'll bring it up here too. The number one lube type thing that they used, uh, the Greeks used in that time was olive oil. So you've got a bread dildo slathered in olive oil. Next time you go to Carabas and they give you that nice chunk of bread with a dish of olive oil, think of this. Think of me. <laughs> Thousand percent. Yes. <laughs> More often, though, Greeks used dildos made of wood or pressed leather and liberally smeared with olive oil. Hmm. But just like the Stone Age, it could have been more ritualistic uses and more than pleasure. But there's a lot of butts in here. (laughs) A lot of butts for a dildo segment. Whatever. Herodotus wrote a mime in the third century BC called A Quiet Chat, where Metro asks her friend Corito if she can borrow her dildo, but Corito had already loaned it to Gnosis. No, 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 no. So, like, the Greeks were known through history for being very, like, sexually open. I mean, there's different instances of, like, homosexuality being very open in the Greek society. And they were apparently very open with their dildos, too. And they would pass them around, loan them to people, that kind of thing. But woof, the bacteria. Right? (laughs) I really don't see olive oil filling in any pockets the way that it would need to to keep it from getting bacteria in it. I just really don't. Yeah. I don't know. But back to the bread for a second. Okay. I I had this thought earlier. I didn't write it in my notes, but... So you know how the Greek merchant bread merchants, there was this whole thing about worrying that their bread would be stolen. So they had the stamps that they would stamp the baked bread or the bread before they baked it. I wonder if they stamped the baguette all over to make it ribbed for her pleasure. 
These are the things that go through my head. Oh, God. I mean, there's no proof that it wasn't. Exactly. So, conjecture, so I'm going with it. Yeah. And then um, another instance of writing in Lysistrata, written by Aristophanes, Greek women go on a sex strike and they talk of using dildo to be satisfied sexually while protesting. Yes, you do you, honey. Right? I am 100% here for it. (laughs) Yes. But it wasn't just the Greeks that were looking at an object and saying, I could fuck this. (laughs) The Western Han Dynasty... That was from Han Dynasty was from 2000 or 206 BCE to 220 AD. It's attributed with the discovery of quote unquote ancient sex toys in their elaborate tombs. So they had tombs very much like the Egyptians, which had all their earthly possessions, gold and all that. And apparently they also had their collections of sex toys put in their tombs with them. Oh, yes. (laughs) Because the Han believed that their time in the afterlife was led just like their time in the mortal world. So they needed all of their possessions to carry on with daily life. Mm -hmm. So they were in there too. The good, healthy mindset. Right? Orgasms are good for your mental health. Yes. That's the science. So their tombs included dildos made of bronze, which was very opulent, let me tell you. I'm pretty impressed. And then that comes back into play in a little bit in my notes. Please but, tell me that Terry like walked in and it's just like dick, 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 dick on your computer. <laughs> I wish. No, he uh I made French bread with cheese and garlic spread for dinner with our dinner. And as he was walking out with his plate, I was like, just so you know, Greeks fucked bread. Enjoy your dinner. And he's like, okay. <laughs> but yes it'll come back into play in just a little bit uh in asian cultures but let's head back to europe oh let's (laughs) (laughs) do 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 okay so 16th to 18th century dildos became scandalous no more joyous baguette humping we hide (laughs) that shit in the mattress you're making me like wheeze Yes, we don't share, we don't whatever, we just hide them. And then Pietro Aretino, who's an Italian writer, he recorded that nuns in Europe had started using dildos in the 1500s to quote unquote quell the gnawing of the flesh. <laughs> Which, you know what? If they're married to God, let them do what they want to do. I don't care. I so, mean, I've always wondered, not I know. Like a weird way, so, but. Humans are still humans. Exactly. Like, we all have urges. It's fine. Yeah. But, yeah, so uh, they definitely became more taboo. But the fucked up part is that they dildos became more readily available to the wealthy. So, like, wealthy were definitely stocking up on this shit. But, like, it wasn't appropriate to be spoken of in polite company. Oh. I mean, kind of still, you can't really talk about your dildos and company exactly like there's some people like talking about it with but i'm not gonna walk into work and be like so look what i bought like (laughs) but yeah you don't speak in flight company yeah but there's absolute legend in 1670 john wilmot who was the earl of rochester at the time he opened a sex club 
like at a time when it was very taboo to talk about this, yeah. he opened a sex club and he tried to import a whole bunch of dildos to, I guess, provide wares in his club. But when they arrived in port, they were immediately destroyed by authorities. Oh, boo. Party poopers. Worst Boston Tea Party De- ever. Destroyed or commandeered? Yes. <laughs> Redistribution of wealth. <laughs> but yeah, it's... Oh, God. But yeah, like, what a hero at a time when everybody's like, oh, we can't talk about this. He's like, I'm opening a club. Yes. Same, Same dude. Respect. But despite this, people had to get their hands on those sweet rods. English women started making their own dildos, but then it became illegal to own a dildo. And so these people were penalized. The authorities, especially church authorities, would come into your home. (laughs) And if they found anything phallic that could be used as a dildo, they'd be like, hey, that's not okay. And you would be whipped or you would have to pay a fine. Like, it's awful. So like... Everything literally could be a dildo. Like your bread. Are they taking the poor people's bread away? Exactly. Like don't look crossways at my bread just because it's phallic shaped. Like hide the olive oil. For real. Yeah, store those in different cabinets if yeah. you're in the 1600s and suspicious. For real. So they were coming to their homes and being like, "Oh, this kind of looks like a penis. Let's <laughs> let's vlog this lady." But that brings me to Salem, just a quick snippet. When the Salem witch trials were going on, I remember this documentary I watched when I was in the eighth grade. This stuck with me. There were different chairs that had, there was a rocking chair with a hole in it that a dildo would come up when you rocked. So it was like a sex toy. If you had something like that, or if you had anything phallic shaped that could be used as a dildo, Someone could see that and accuse you of being a witch. And I have such an issue with that. Like I, Salem is one thing that I can like go on a huge rant about. So I didn't put a lot in my notes because we'll be here for nine years. (laughs) That is something that has always bothered me. Like if they had a mortar and pestle, they would think that they were grinding herbs for spells, but they could also say you're using this pestle to give yourself sexual pleasure So, therefore, you were a witch and you were to be drowned or stoned or burned. I had no idea. Life was so hard. (laughs) I'm going to have to find that documentary and send it to you because it blew my mind and it stuck with me. Like, everyone around me was laughing about the rocking chair and I was just horrified. I'm just looking around my office right now being like, literally anything shaped remotely phallic, I would be dead. Exactly. Well, that's just like, this is kind of off topic, but if you had something called a poppet in your house that you used, it's a pin cushion in the shape of a person that you use for sewing. I have one of those that a friend crocheted me. Literally, if someone back then had walked into my house, we could see that with my sewing supplies and go, oh, she's a witch because she has a poppet. But yeah, that's a whole different thing. So back to dildos. In the words of Queen's podcast, who will be on here soon, history is a bag of dicks. That's their little catchphrase. And it's true. Just full of bag of dicks. People are just horrible. Yeah. If they have a merch site and that's on a t-shirt, let me know because I will buy that. As soon as I heard him say it, I was like, damn it. Why didn't I say that first? Right? <laughs> uh. 
But yes, yeah, so the same time period, kind of going back to Han, but more of the Asian cultures in Edo period Japan, they were way more lax about sex toys. They made these books called Shunga that depicted sexual aids and erotic images. It's almost like the Kama Sutra, but with sex toys and the more like Japanese, what they did in their culture. Which is pretty fascinating to me. And I've heard, well, in it that women were depicted as being openly sexual, even shown as being the aggressor in the situation. Oh, wow. So I like, wouldn't Right that. on. Yeah. yeah. Like, I would love to get my hands on some of the, like, prints from this to hang up. Like, oh, God, it would be so cool. It's so, really interesting because throughout history, women are never seen as the aggressors. And I mean, very rarely rarely but exactly yeah it's it feels very much like ta- take back the power which i am yeah. 100% here for yes <laughs> yes you do uh, you honeys you for real wars so in 1722 the japanese government banned shunga but it still made the rounds in underground markets hell yeah you can't you can't stop these things it's like a flame you know <laughs> once exactly. people know it's there it's going to keep spreading Exactly. Like they say in Hairspray, you can't stop the motion of the ocean. <laughs> that was a terrible reference. Don't mind me. No, it's beautiful. <laughs> okay. So to round it out, modern day, the silicone dildo was created by Gosnell Duncan after he became paralyzed in 1965 from the waist down. Oh, he became an advocate for disability and safer penile substitutes, oh, wow. which is fascinating. Yeah. I didn't know that. And so it became not as a sex aid, but for people who needed them for different like disability purposes. But in the 1960s and 70s in America, dildos were made of rubber, which was terrible. Absolutely awful. Rubber, you can't sanitize it. It's got too many pores on it. Mm-hmm. So it holds that bacteria. It couldn't handle hot water. You couldn't wash it vigorously without it losing its structural integrity. Plus, dildos were only sold back then as a medical aid for straight couples. So... If you needed it, you had to be part of a straight couple. You couldn't buy it as a single woman. You couldn't buy it as a lesbian. You couldn't buy it as a gay man. You had to be a in a straight couple. You can't see my face, but it's very disappointed. Yeah, no. I was like, well, okay. But it's not as taboo anymore. And this number is from 2015. I couldn't find an updated number. But in 2015, according to Forbes, the sex toy industry is more out in the open and it raked in $15 billion that year alone. Wow. Right? And so now there's all this media and all these out in the open things that make it so much more acceptable to buy these sex toys. It's really fascinating to me that you know, we're of such a culture that it's like completely okay now. We don't really talk about it in polite company, but it's something that pretty much everyone takes part in. Yeah. But yeah, so that's my notes on dildos. Oh man. I that was so fascinating. I like I know that as long as humans are humans, there had to be something. You know, I just didn't realize the evolution. That was fascinating. That's yeah. 
I, I didn't realize that it went back so far in time. Yeah. Yeah. Like I read Stone Age. I was like, I don't think that's right, <laughs> sir. And then, yeah, like it's not only right, like it's a well-documented thing. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, so it's fascinating. Oh, man. I also, when I was looking for something to cover, I saw like other sex toys. And I think it was in China, the first cock ring was made out of goat eyelashes way back when. And I was like, holy shit. Okay. <laughs> Hold on. I'll pull up a picture. Uh, oh, God. My Google. RIP Google history, for one. Real talk. Cock ring goat eyelashes is about to happen. <laughs> Looks like there aren't any great matches for your search. <laughs> okay. You know what? I just looked at it earlier. You should. Oh, I wrote that really. Oh, autocorrect. Okay. Hold on. Don't judge me, Google. Whoever is in charge of my FBI surveillance and my Google right, FBI. I'm not sorry. <laughs> we should have done this whole episode like phone sex operators. <laughs> I just thought of that. I don't know if my voice could ever be like, quote unquote, sexy. Oh, okay. 1200 BCE. What? Yes. Damn. Cock rings have been around since 1200 BCE, but what happened when your ancient ancestors needed a little extra staying power before things were made like rubber, silicone, or stainless steel? Goat eyelids. Real, actual goat eyelids. The premium joints even came with the goat's eyelashes still attached for her pleasure. Hey, thanks. I hate it. (laughs) I don't like it. It's so fuzzy. It's like a hula (laughs) skirt for your penis. It is. That's some wild, wild shit. Yeah. If anything, we're teaching our FBI agents a lot of information. Yeah. Yeah. Whoever you may be, you're welcome. Yes. Uh, I think I, I forgot to mention the reason we are doing sex as this episode is because we're just all children and this will make part three, episode 69. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, God. Just makes me laugh. I don't know. All right. So for my weird, it's not necessarily weird, but I'm going to talk about Catherine the Great. Because she's okay. Notoriously a big fan of the sexy time. And, you know, she's known for some weird sex stuff. Not necessarily all true, but, you know. So you've probably heard that she had a very large sexual appetite and that it was so insatiable that she banged a horse to death. Not the horse's death, her death. I mean, I can't back that up. I don't know how the horse took it, but it was a rumor and it spread faster than like. Al Capone was spreading syphilis around the place. Like, everybody believed this. And that's why when you hear Catherine the Great, you think of a horse. And it's just, can you even imagine? What a way to go. You were, like, one of the most badass women in history. And the first thing when you Google is that you fucked a horse. I don't think she was Googling herself. I mean, a ghost of Catherine the Great. Yes. Is possessing someone to Google herself. <laughs> and the horse shows up. Yeah. Like, Motherfucker. What? No. How Bad dare you? And erasure. Oh. I mean, the only bit of truth here is that she did like a good, you know, pants off, dance off 
But before we get to the sex jokes, we need to know who this misunderstood badass is. You know? The woman whom history would remember as Catherine the Great was Russia's longest ruling female leader. She was actually the eldest daughter of an impoverished Prussian prince. So she Hmm. really came from nothing too uh, outstanding, which is really interesting. She was born Sophie von Anhalt Zerbst, maybe? Let's go with that. Okay. In 1729, (laughs) she enjoyed numerous marital prospects due to her mother's well-regarded bloodline. But at age 14, she was chosen to be wife of Karl Ulrich Duke Holstein Gotorp. Probably said that wrong, but we're just going to go with it. He was grandson of Peter the Great and heir to the throne of Russia as the Grand Duke Peter by Tsarina Elizabeth. Okay. Just a tiny little detour. Tsarina Elizabeth was the daughter of Peter the Great, but she'd never married and she didn't have any children. So she chose Peter to be the heir, thus had the power to pick his wife. Hmm. They don't teach you that in the great. No, they don't. I did watch that show. It was really funny. Huzzah! (laughs) (laughs) I enjoyed it, but I learned a lot of like how that was not accurate. But yeah. So back to Kathy. Upon arriving in St. Petersburg in 1744, Sophie converted to Eastern Orthodoxy, adopted a Russian name, Catherine, and began learning to speak the language. The following year, the 16-year-old wed her betrothed, officially becoming Grand Duchess Catherine Aless. Oh, God. Aless. Oh, man. I knew- I know how to say this in my head. You can but, do like, it. The hillbilly just, like, blocks it, you know? <laughs> Alexeyevna. Alexeyevna, I think. I'm so sorry. I do it out of respect. It's just the hillbilly. It's just too strong. Catherine and Peter were ill-matched which is a very tame way of saying that. And their marriage was notoriously unhappy. Suzanne Jacques, who is the author of Empress of Art, explains that the couple, quote, couldn't have been more different in terms of their intellect and interest. I almost said internet. (laughs) Internet. (laughs) While Peter was quoted as being boorish and totally immature, you know, Catherine was very well educated and she was a lover of European culture. So she was very worldly and wanted more with her life and he wanted to play with his little toys literally that's what he did (laughs) peter spent much of his time indulging in various vices and unsuccessfully working to paint himself as an effective military commander so he always had that chip on his shoulder that like peter the great was so great and what was he gonna be like what was gonna be his moniker yeah spoiler alert it was not great (laughs) Not no. <laughs> the differences led both parties to seek sexy time elsewhere, a fact that raised questions both at the time and the centuries since, especially about the paternity of their son, future Paul I. Huh. Catherine herself suggested in her memoirs that Paul was the child of her first lover, Sergei Salt. It looks like Saltykov, but that's not it. Okay, we're just going to move on. While historians today actually think that Catherine was lying, it is for the best reason ever. They think that Paul's father was Peter because he was kind of like short and stumpy and kind of <laughs> ugly. And, and Catherine and Sergey were like reportedly like 18th century smoke shows. So they're like, essentially, they like proved it by like hot or not. They couldn't have had an ugly kid. They're too hot. Yeah. (laughs) 
I love it. So a lot of people also think Catherine was trying to discredit Peter as Paul's father just because she hated him so much. Mm-hmm. Bright side, the couple's loveless marriage afforded Catherine plenty of time to pursue her intellectual interests from reading the work of the Enlightenment thinkers to perfecting her grasp of Russian. Quote, she trained herself, and as she did, she began to realize that she could do a better job than her husband. And that's from one of her biographers. So she didn't, like, show up being like, I'm taking over. She just showed up and be like, you're an idiot, and I can do better than you. Yeah, I really need to read one of her biographies. Mm, She's fascinating. In Catherine's own words, quote, had it been my fate to have a husband whom I could love, I would never have changed towards him. So she herself's like, I came here ready to like be a wife and like real. like him, but he did not let me. To make matters worse, Peter proved to not only be a poor life partner, but he was actually a threat to his wife's well-being, particularly following his ascension to the Russian throne upon his aunt Elizabeth's death in January of six- dyslexia, 1762. Mm. As Robert K. Massey writes in Catherine the Great, Portrait of a Woman, From the beginning of her husband's reign, her position was one of isolation and humiliation. It was obvious to her that Peter's hostility had evolved into a determination to end their marriage and remove her from public life. So now it's like personal. Shady. I know. He's such an asshole. Far from resigning herself to this fate, Catherine bided her time and watched him alienate key factions of court. He wasn't dumb per se, but he had no common sense. So he was making some really stupid mistakes that were very dangerous for the throne. He so, was book Ca- smart, but not street smart. Yes. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. I don't think anybody's ever thought that he was like dumb, dumb. It's just yeah. like he had no interest in yeah. being what he needed to be. Catherine for her part claimed in her memoirs that all his actions bordered on insanity. By claiming the throne, she wrote she had saved Russia from disaster that all the prince's moral and physical faculties promised. <laughs> it's like, sick burn. For real. So like his wife, Peter was actually Prussian, where she downplayed this to be like, I'm Russian now. She never talked about being Prussian. He catered to his home country and he abandoned conquests against Prussia and he pursued military campaigns in other places like Denmark that was little value to Russia. They do do that in the show. Yeah, they do. Doing weird shit and people are like, and this did not bode well with the Russian military class. And a program of liberal domestic reforms aimed at improving the lives of the poor also alienated members of the lower nobility. So he was just... Messing with wrong people. These unhappy factions turn to Catherine, who is also fearful of Peter's intention. He probably didn't notice that he was pissing everybody off and that they were going to his wife. Because soon after, he started trying to figure out how to dump his wife so he could marry his mistress. And then at the same time, he was trying to take lands and money from the church and say it was secularization. It's like if there's a checklist of what not to do, he was checking all of it. So. Yeah, he was going real hard in the wrong direction. <laughs> yes. Not not a very good leader. No. So there was a very valid reason to believe he'd be assassinated because everybody hated him. And it was very likely that Catherine knew that her own position and life were under threat if that happened. So she took action. As tensions mounted, a plan to overthrow Peter took root. When the conspiracy was uncovered in the earliest July of 1762, Catherine moved really fast, gaining support from the country's most powerful military regiment. 
So on July 9th, Catherine, flanked by Orlov and her growing squad of supporters, arrived at the Winter Palace to make her official debut as Catherine II, sole ruler of Russia. Hell yeah. God, and it's like a bloodless coup. She just yeah. showed up and it's like, mine. <laughs> Bow yeah, down, bitches. No bloodshed. It's wonderful. It's awesome. Yeah. Badass. So smart. So as Simon Sabog Montefiore, I'm guessing, notes in yep. the Romanov, 1618 to 1918, Peter, then on holiday in the suburbs of St. Petersburg, was oblivious to what was happening. Oh, of course he was. He had no idea. So he showed fun. up at the palace and he found it was abandoned. He realized what had occurred. and He said, quote, didn't I tell you she was capable of anything? Peter proceeded to weep and drink and dither. And that is a quote from the okay. people over there. It's always good when someone yeah. dithers. Yeah. That same morning, two of Orlov's brothers arrested Peter and forced him to sign a statement of abdication. Eight days later, the dethroned czar was dead, and he was killed under still uncertain circumstances. But there are three theories. One, murder. Obviously. <laughs> Nobody liked him. That's, I mean... Fair enough. Two is the inadvertent result of a drunken brawl. Also checks out because he was always drunk and doing dumb shit. And three is just a total accident. Hmm. I don't know about that. I vote number one. I don't know. Um. Yeah, I'm thinking murder. Some yeah. people are saying like her lover. So she did like the Orlov guy was her lover. And even before they got married, the Empress was like, here, you need to Pick this one, you know? So, like, yeah. we all helped her. So, it was not, nice. like, a weird thing with her side pieces, I guess. It was all well known. Yeah. The official cause of death was advertised as hemorrhoidal colic. And... That, that, oh, okay. Yeah, and it became, like, a joke because it was, like, an absurd diagnosis. And then it became a popular euphemism for assassination. So... Love it. Okay. Such a mean way. Like, he's already dead, but they're, like, one final jab at him. Nice. There's no actual evidence that conclusively links Catherine to her husband's death, but as many historians have pointed out, his demise benefited her a lot. Mm-hmm. So, at the beginning, it's like, oh, she's going to reign on behalf of Peter's heir apparent, the couple's eight-year-old son, Paul, but she had no intention of yielding the power once her son came of age. That was never part of it. So with Peter out of the picture, Catherine was able to consolidate power from a position of strength, and she would never have to give it up. God, she's badass. She's such a badass. I, I like it makes me hate the whole horse thing even more. I know all of it is just so fucking mean. Oh God, I hate I hate history. They just do whatever they can. Same thing with like Anne Boleyn and like the moles and the six fingers and the yes. witch and like she she's like the mother of Protestantism, and she gets no. Oh, history is a bag of dicks. Right, yes. <laughs> they were right. So so at the same time, she recognized the damage of killing had inflicted on her legacy. And she was quoted saying, my glory is spoiled. She said, posterity will never forgive me. So she thought him dying was going to just put this giant cloud over her rule. But she was wrong. It didn't actually do that. She recovered her reputation, not just as a Russian Tsar and successful imperialist, but also as an enlightened despot. And she was a, quote, darling of the philosophies. So her legacy actually outshone the, uh, in her lifetime, people are still pissed at it. But of course, her legacy survived. Good. So 
I tried to, if I missed anything here, it was not on purpose, but she did so much. So here we go. As ruler of Russia from 1762 to 19, God dyslexia, 1796, Catherine championed enlightenment ideals, expanded her empire's borders, spearheaded judicial and administrative reforms, dabbled in vaccination. So the smallpox thing in the show, that's true. Yeah. Curated a vast art collection that formed the foundation of the world's greatest, one of the world's greatest museums, exchanged correspondence with philosophers Voltaire and Diderot, pinned Hmm. operas and children's fairy tales, founded the country's first state-funded school for women, drafted her own legal code, and promoted a national system of education. She also opened the first library. Wow. Perhaps most impressively, I know, perhaps one of the most impressive things she did is that she was born virtually penniless. She was a Prussian princess, but it meant nothing. And then she ended up wielding power for three decades, despite she had no claim to that crown. And she was better than anybody that could have claimed that crown. It's just... For real. Oh, just love her. Her reign is like the ultimate mic drop. Yes. Just living. That's all she needed to do. It's... There's like a few things, like people called her a hypocrite. There was a lot of sources that called her a hypocritical enlightened despot. And that's just because it was like a weird contradiction. So she had all these values and ideas and plans that were very modern and the philosophical realm or whatever. And most of those plans involved getting rid of serfdom, which is, you know, where peasants are enslaved and freely traded among the feudal lords. And by all accounts, she tried. She really tried. But serfdom was at odds with her values because she recognized that her main base of support was the nobility, which derived their wealth from feudalism. So if she was to do that, she would have lost everything. Right. And like case in point, feudalism was abolished in 1861 by Alexander II's Emancipation Manifesto. And they assassinated him. So she was pretty right. (laughs) Yeah, for real. Not going to end well for her. So I have no doubt that she felt horrible and probably battled with that her whole life. But she knew like her life and her children's lives depended on appeasing the nobility. Yeah. Well, and she was so lucky in that. I mean, she like really worked for where for everything she got, but everything seemed to kind of fall into place for her. Mm -hmm. Like she really lucked out on that without having too much opposition. I think she made the right friends at the right time and, yep. you know, and also him just being so bad at his yep. job helped because yep. everybody was just tired of him and yep. it did. The pieces did come together, but I think she, I mean, there were, she had dozens of like skirmishes and rebellions that she had to squash and stuff. So it wasn't like a, you know, she decided she couldn't do it. She tried and it just was not going to happen. Exactly. So Catherine's contributions to Russia's cultural landscape is way more successful with her legacy. So the biographer says that Catherine initially started collecting art as a political calculation aimed at legitimizing her status as a westernized monarch. But along the way, she became very passionate and knowledgeable. She loved paintings and sculptures and books, architecture, opera, theater, and literature. A self-described glutton for the arts. Me too. Girl, same. <laughs> the Empress strategically purchased paintings in bulk, acquire, bulk, acquiring as much in 34 years as other royals took generations to amass. Wow. 
Yes. And this enormous collection ultimately formed the basis of the Hermitage Museum. Oh, that's cool. Greatest museums in the world. In addition to collecting art, Catherine commissioned an array of new cultural projects, including an imposing bronze monument of Peter the Great, Russia's first state library, exact replicas of Raphael's Vatican City logias, and a neoclassical building constructed across from St. Petersburg. Hmm. So she's bringing in all the art and culture. So now back to pound town. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Sex history. All right. So Catherine didn't remarry after the death of her husband because that would jeopardize her power. She's not going to give it away because women rule her to get married to the men. Most of the time goes to the men. But she did take on a lot of lovers. Or what she called favorites. Some sources say 12, some say 21, some say like 300. So, yeah, that's a lot of time. That's, that's a lot of boning. Yep. <sighs> but all I know is that she was not partaking in ye old bestiality. That did not actually happen. No. No. But she did love sex, toys, and some X-rated furniture. <laughs> <laughs> i'm so excited okay this is why y'all should oh, be on patreon because i'm about to show you this furniture and holy shit it's so good <laughs> okay yeah. so writing in the romanovs montefiore characterizes catherine as an obsessional serial monogamist who adored sharing card games in her cozy apartments and discussing her literary and artistic interests with her beloved so she was a serial monogamist it wasn't like she was just as some people say, like whoring around, though she just always wanted a companion as she wanted somebody to talk to. And there's all these sordid tales of her sexuality, but they're all attributed to her detractors who hated her and wanted to weaken her power. So how do you hurt a woman? You make her a whore. Like that's historically speaking. Ugh, just You make her a whore, you make her ugly. Yeah, it's so infuriating. She was just a woman with a sex drive and enough power to tell people to fuck off. (laughs) Like, that's why I love her because she did it anyway. She's like, I know who I am. I like how I'm doing things. You can just move along. But being Catherine's lover came with huge rewards. And I just love this. So she was famously loyal to her lovers. Both during the relationship and after. So after they parted, they were always on good terms. She stayed friends. And then she usually gave them like titles and land and palaces. She well, never had like a bad breakup. Yeah. yeah. I didn't get anything like that in my breakups. <laughs> God, me either. I demand a palace. For real. <gasps> Fuck. <laughs> so it is probably true that Catherine had some of her potential favorites tested by her ladies in waiting, which is what is portrayed in HBO's Catherine the Great. <laughs> so funny to me. But it's highly unlikely that Catherine took part in any orgies, which some of the movies suggest, because there's always going to be this unbridgeable gap between the Empress and everybody else. So yep. there's not going to be that kind of thing. Historically speaking, it's just not going to happen. Army officer Gregory Pun. Uh, oh god i know how to say this potemkin i've heard it a thousand times and now i'm blinking but he was arguably the greatest love of Catherine's life though her relationship with gregory orlov one of the ones that helped her you know usurp the throne was much longer but hmm. the pair her and gregory they actually met the day of Catherine's coup and they became lovers in 1774 Their relationship was personal, but it was also very important politically. 
He oh. was very capable from like this military perspective and proved to be a powerful leader in the new Russia of the South, helping to win over the people of Crimea. And this helped foster Russia into a new superpower on the European stage. She was so fond of his, quote, elephantine sexual equipment, end quote, okay. of him that she cast his penis and porcelain so it could console herself when he was away on military campaigns. Aw, you can do that now, but with silicone, you just buy a kit. I've seen it. <laughs> I know, I've been doing deployments all wrong. Right? <laughs> okay, if it happens again, I'll buy you a kit. <laughs> I can't see you now. What the fuck is wrong with you, Kina? <laughs> it was a gift. Just let it happen. Yeah. God. Just breathe. It's fine. <laughs> when he was away, they wrote each other love letters and a lot of them survived. She wrote to him several times a day and she once <laughs> confided that she needed virile young men in her bed for the sake of her health while he's gone. Okay. All right. In fact, she said sex was so necessary for her well-being that without it, she was unable to rule properly. Wow. I mean, if you're the empress, you do you. For real. But she really did like the guy. So in one letter, it says, quote, I love you so much. You are so handsome and clever and jovial and funny, which I thought jovial and funny were the same thing. When I'm with you, I attach no importance to the world. I have never been so happy. Aw. That's very sweet. I don't think I've ever written something that sweet. I don't think I've ever written anything like that to my husband. Mm -mm, I have not. Nope. I have not. <laughs> I was like thinking for something. Might have, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't received anything from him either, though. All, all accounts say that they just had this all-consuming passion, but it was unstable because stuff like that. Honeymoon stages and whatnot. So their romantic partnership faded in just two years, but they remained on good terms. And they were like the best friends. And they were kind of like partners and everything. He had yeah. like enormous political influence. And some people say that he was like a czar in all but name. On his death, it's also said that she spent days overwhelmed by, quote, tears and despair. Bless her heart. That's so sad. It's really sad. In her later years, Catherine became involved with a number of significantly younger lovers. Get it? A fact that her critics were quick to latch onto, despite the countless male monarchs who do the exact same shit without yeah. nobody blinking an eye bastards <sighs> always in search of romantic intimacy she once admitted quote the trouble is that my heart loathed to remain even one hour without love which is kind of sad but you think like she got shipped away from her family she's never really had like relationships yeah i support it <laughs> but i mean i guess <laughs> like when you take that in context it's also been noted that she wanted to have sex six times a day so she, her heart was never alone for more than an hour if she's banging that much. Jesus. For real. But, I mean, if that gets her to the top, then sure, why not? Yeah, that just seems exhausting. Yeah. Oh, oh. Yeah, that just makes me tired. I know. Hope she stayed hydrated. For real. <laughs> crackers on the bedside table. <laughs> There's always this debate on how many men, like, came to her bed. Like I said, some people say 300, some people say it's 12. Here's the thing. People are going to slut shame her because she's a woman. Yeah. And there's going to never be a 
right answer because people are going to smear her name just because she's a woman in a man's world doing yep. the exact same shit all the other male monarchs are doing. It's so, ugh, so infuriating. But I did find this interesting. So she took precautions to protect her own health. So she wasn't just like sleeping with anybody. Before she took on a new lover, she would have her Scottish doctor thoroughly examine them. Hmm. I wonder why I was a Scottish doctor. That's a good question. Maybe that was just like the Scottish doctor they like had on hand. Maybe. Yeah. And that's the other reason she let them be like road tested by her lady in waiting. So if she like caught the clap first, you know, she'd be fine. Nice. But then also the lady in waiting's job was to like do her future boo thing and tell him what she liked her preferences okay i'm kind of here for this yeah okay so she had a few fetishes like foot tickling (laughs) nope (laughs) no thank you and she also had a thirst for assertive lovers so i would imagine you probably would have to have somebody takes me aside be like she's the most powerful woman in your world but it's okay you can be assertive she won't like Chop your head off. For real. I'm sure dudes would be a little timid. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So in this respect, Catherine was actually a traditionalist about the foot thing. (laughs) (laughs) Russian royalty long employed sensual foot ticklers who would sing body ballads while feathering the master's feet to provide relaxation and arousal. Hey, look, thanks. I hate it. I don't like people touching my feet. That's horrifying. Me either. I would never find pleasure in that. No, thanks. Go away. No. She also had this like unabashed fascination with both male and female bits and pieces as reportedly seen on her infamous furniture. (laughs) Yes. So this eye popping collection, which also included a chair apparently designed so the Empress can enjoy unusual sexual positions, was said to be held in a secret room of erotic curiosities. Damn, Kathy. Respect. Yeah, for <laughs> real. This room, which allegedly was located near her suite of rooms, was in her favorite palace in St. Petersburg, which is now the Pushkin Palace. The salon had sexually charged furniture, a doorknob shaped like a dick, erotic cabinets, and rooms stuffed with eccentric period pornography and walls covered in explicit art. Hmm. And how sexually charged was this furniture? Well, let us describe it to you. Okay, here we go. Oh, yeah. Here's Kathy. So if you're on Patreon, you can see this live. If not, it'll be on Facebook and Instagram. When this comes out. All right. Chair number one. We got a cherub. I'm assuming that's like a cherub. It has a very like innocent cherub like face. And then boom. Penis. And then the arms are people doing it. I appreciate that the dude on the arm is grabbing his own dick. (laughs) And then like the the seat portion is a woman all splayed out. You just see boobs and legs. Wide open. So uh, that's interesting. All right. little close up of little cherub. Beautiful. Getting some D. All right. Now we got the like Satan. What? Satan going down on a lady. It's very detailed. Oh my gosh. That's <laughs> awesome. 
It is so detailed. I love that the caption, this is a BuzzFeed article, it says, that is the devil and he is noshing on that fanny like Hellfire's going to shoot out of it. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, BuzzFeed. Oh, that was so good. Okay, this is a table and it looks like (laughs) boobs are like the balls and then it has a penis coming out of it and those are like the legs of the table and then there's just various genitalia around the table edges i love it it's very interesting (laughs) so veiny (laughs) oh that's a word i hate up there with the m word (laughs) oh gosh and then there's more just like people doing it so those are like the main love it ones so there's photographs of this room, these this furniture, and it's been claimed to have been taken by German soldiers who arrived at the palace in 1941 during World War II, and they stumbled across this eye-opening boudoir. And these soldiers may have very well been the last people that seen these items, because if you know anything about World War II, the Nazis were ransacking palaces stealing artwork and then mm-hmm. destroying them but they yeah. were taking photos so this actually did happen like a lot of the photos we have of certain paintings only survived because the nazis took pictures before they burnt them so this palace was bombed and then most of the contents of it de- like destroyed in a fire so it's possible it was destroyed experts and historians they believe that the contents actually did exist And some of them think that they were removed and then just vanished under suspicious circumstances. So, I mean, I'd believe that. If you're a bunch of weird-ass Nazi fucks and you come into a sex room, don't you think you're going to be an immature asshole and be like, I'm going to steal this? Yeah. There's probably some, like, random Nazi sympathizer's house that's just got, like, a dick chair in it. Yeah. I I give no credit to Nazis because fuck them. So, I'm... I'm not going to assume that. I don't know what to believe. I don't know if it existed. Some people like question the authenticity as ever existing and that mm-hmm. people made this up. Uh, Russian authorities have always been very secretive about Catherine's life because of the rumors and stuff. So nobody really knows. So it could be real. It could be fake. She's. I like to think it's real. Why not? She's eccentric. It seems yeah. fun. Let her have some fun, you know? For real. But so as of today, nobody knows where this furniture is, if it was destroyed, if it was really hers. But there's a French furniture maker that is recreating these. Excellent. <laughs> in the table that had the the the, the penile legs is for sale right now for 283 pounds and in US dollars that's 333,000 dollars yikes for your very own Catherine the Great reproduction of a dick table nice it seems like a lot of money that is i don't have that kind of money <sighs> But speaking of money, she would actually, like, give her lovers money. <laughs> and I love this. I, I do. She would leave large sums of money by the bed after they did the deed. And, <laughs> and apparently made some of the men feel like prostitutes. 
And then they felt like they couldn't turn down the rewards because who are they? She's the Empress. For real. Can you imagine the amount of power she felt doing that in a man's world? Yeah, what a boss move. God, it is just like the ultimate. And I can't, how smart she was. She had to have known. Oh, for real. The very rare opportunity a woman could feel that kind of power. Respect. (laughs) I'm just going to keep saying that. So much respect. And then my last like soapbox thing is everybody keeps ending all these like stories and articles and books with like, quote, astonishingly among all her romantic escapades, Catherine was doing a triumphant job of ruling Russia. Like, bitch, please. Because you can't do both. Yes. Catherine was a confident woman with too much passion who ignored the boundaries of womanhood of her time. She was labeled an infomaniac. She was hypersexual. But in reality, she was no different from her male counterparts. So basically her only crime was being a woman. You know, other than that, she was just a boss. Yeah. So I feel bad. A long time ago, somebody did some like genealogy and they're like, oh, the Hawkenberries are related to Catherine the Great. And I was like, oh, the horse person? Like, I was like a teenager. And I'm like, why is that the first thing I thought of? I'm just so ashamed of myself. Now you know better. I do know better. Yay, history. You can learn. So she transformed Russia into one of the greatest recognized powers of Europe. Her rule from 1762 to 1796 is still seen as Russia's golden age. There's nothing astonishing about it. She could compartmentalize and multitask like a badass sex queen she was. And people need to put some respect to her name. Real talk. Mm. Yeah. So about the horse. Everybody. (laughs) We got to talk about the horse. Okay. The nastiest legend about Catherine the Great is that she died from internal bleeding after having sex with a stallion. Another version of this is that she was crushed to death as they were lowering said stallion onto her and a strap snapped and crushed her to death. Another version of this is that she was climaxing from said horse fucking and it was so intense she had a heart attack. Okay. So, I mean, all of those should just tell you it was fake. I can't imagine anybody reading any of those being like, checks out. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds legit. Uh, I I don't. It's unimaginable. She she actually died in her restroom. She probably had a stroke and was partially paralyzed before her death. So like, where does this story come from? I'm sure you can guess. People are assholes and A Polish pseudo historian, Kazmierz Walizewski. Wrote primarily about Russian history, and he coined this story in his book, The Romance of the Empress Catherine II of Russia, published in 1900. This is way after she died. Okay. And this is probably just built on, like, all the gossip that built up after that. But, like, the absolute truth is that November 16, 1796, the 67-year-old empress suffered a stroke and fell into a coma. She died the next day, leaving her estranged son, Paul I, as the next ruler. It was a very anticlimactic death. So I'm sure people were probably pissed about that. I really thought that you said she, like, when you said she fell into a coma, I thought you were going to say she fell into her latrine. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. But yes, sorry. Go on. It's funny you say that because one of the rumors, so after her death, people are pissed that it was just very, like, 
mundane, you know. So the first rumor that went out is that she died on her toilet. Yep. So people wanted to like make it ugly or embarrassing. Hey, and then if it's others Elvis, it's good enough for Catherine the Great. Yeah, you can't help her you die. Like and others took the lurid storytelling even further, perpetuating the myth that has endured for centuries. That Catherine, whose lustful life was an open secret, had died while engaging in a sex act with an animal. Usually it would be a horse. I just hate people. There's no truth to this rumor, though her enemies would have hoped for a scandalous end. She probably just died peacefully, like very quickly. Good. Here's how. Let's get a little weird. So after she died, instead of burying her, like you sh- you do, the Russians displayed her body for six whole weeks. And people would like go by and like kiss her hand as she's like rotting. <laughs> Mm, don't like that i don't want to do that <laughs> don't, find me. don't put me down for that no i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna hard pass on that i don't like it so like legacy wise it seems that her life had been reduced to this salacious headline about having sex with a horse but she did an enormous amount of good and great things that's why she's Catherine the great she yeah. was a kid who came from a different country it wasn't her own. She had no right to take it over, but she did. And she made it amazing. It thrived. She got the great on her name and was very influential ruler who shaped modern Russia and pushed the country into a more modern Western approach. The nobility generally did well under Catherine, and she's seen as a very strong ruler throughout history. The passage of time has placed her as one of the most eminent of the Russian rulers out of all of them. And she created a golden age in Russia the Catherinean age. Fuck yeah. Mic drop. She's such a badass. I love her. I know. I'm a big fan. I just, oh, I just hate it. I hate all these like amazing people in history, but stupid ass rumors from shitty ass people. I'm going to watch so many Catherine the Great things after <laughs> or tomorrow after I wake <laughs> up. Yeah. One of the Patreon, Kara, she mentioned that. Katarina, she said, I think it's subtitles, but she said that's her favorite. Huh. But it's really good. Man, that was such a good episode. Oh, man, it was so much fun. God, it was so funny. I'm so excited. So, next week will be part two of Sex History. I'm going to have Bad Girls Gospel podcast on, and they are a sex positive podcast. So, that's why I talk about sex and relationships. So, I'm really excited to have them. Fun fact I was going for a walk. And I, I didn't have my headphones and I was listening to them and this old, really old man was walking to his car right as she was talking about, fun fact, a penis has less nerve endings than the rectal opening. And then the guy like looked at me and just like scurried away. <laughs> there will never be eye contact ever again. You know what? He probably learned something and probably went to check. <laughs> That's a good way of looking at it. <laughs> Uh, before we go, we do have a few shout outs. So Stacy C upgraded her Patreon membership from fierce to majestic as fuck. So thank you, Stacy. You are oh. so majestic. So majestic. And a fellow Ozarkian, I think. I think Ozarks. I don't know. Missouri. She might not be in the Ozarks. I might be oh, making no. that up. I just assume all Missouri is the Ozarks. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. 
But so thankful for your support and just, you know, being amazing. And then Jason Jolly J increased his from Majestic AF to Brilliant AF. Oh, so yeah. brilliant. So super excited. He's picked a story and a random word, and I'm really excited. Just thank you. And I sent you a postcard and it has a lot of weird alien doodles. And I hope every person in the postal office that has to look at it is like, what is wrong with her? <laughs> My job will be done if they do. <laughs> It'd be great. <laughs> so if you want to join Patreon and, you know, watch us live and see all the weird dick chairs live with us, you know. Things like that. It's always going to be something weird going on here. That's patreon.com slash historical AF pod. And you know the drill. Just everything's historical AF pod. You know, our social media, our email. Hit us up. Hit me up. That's going to be weird to break. (laughs) (laughs) The royal we. That's the we. So yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. And I will see you next week. You sound so unsure. I know. I'm like, I'm forgetting something. She'll definitely see you next week. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I will see you next week with our next guest. And it's going to be, it's just so, I love this because everybody's going to have like a different perspective and like different sense of humor. And it's just going to be really fun. And I'm really, it's going to be awesome. I know. I'm really happy. So uh, thanks, guys. See you next week. Bye. Bye.